0: Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this episode, LA Opera's Sebastian Paul and Mary Belle Musco President and CEO Christopher Kelsch takes an in-depth look at the main stage operas and special events that make up our spectacular 37th season. With maestro James Conlon, LA Opera's Richard Siever Music Director, and Russell Thomas, LA Opera's Artist-in-Residence. Tickets to LA Opera's 22-23 season are available now at laopera.org.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for the announcement of the company's 37th season. I'm so, so happy to be joined this afternoon in making this announcement by our esteemed music director, James Conlon. Welcome, James. Thank you, Christopher. Glad to be here. The 22-23 season actually will represent James's 17th season as music director for the company. So we're thrilled to have him here. Next to him, we also have Russell Thomas, who in that season will be joining the company in his second year as the company's artist-in-residence. So welcome, Russell.
2: Thank you, Christopher. Great to be here.
1: We are extremely excited to be able to share with you the details of the season. That'll be coming right up. But actually, before we delved into that, I actually wanted to spend a moment and just reflect upon... What it's been like for us as individuals, as artists, as human beings, to be back in the theatre after such a long time away from each other, from art, from camaraderie. From my point of view, it has been really the gift of my life to be back in the theatre. My appreciation for it is so much greater for having lost it for that 18 month period. And it's with really that impulse that we created this 22-23 season, really a means of inspiring you to return to the theater. We're so proud of this assemblage of work, which is really designed with the curatorial idea of the maximum amount of variety. We wanna span the greatest expanse of expression, of style, of language. And the way that I think about it is We are both celebrating the past and we are forging the future of the art form. One of the things I'm most proud of in in the season we're about to reveal to you is that the company continues to be a magnet for an incredibly gifted assemblage of artists, of singers, conductors, directors, designers. And in that group are a group of people who are the leading artists of opera today, joined by a lot of company favorites, people that Angelino audiences have really fallen in love with. And then I think in keeping with the grand tradition of the company, a whole slew of trailblazing debutantes, we're really excited to introduce a series of new artists, new visions, new voices to you. It is a real survey of the depth and breadth of the art form. So without further ado, we'll actually dive in the season with you. We are presenting six main stage uh, productions um, next season four of which are completely new to Los Angeles, these productions, alongside uh, two returning favorites, and then a very robust series, perhaps the most robust in the company's history of concerts and recitals, and as usual, a series of of trailblazing works in Off Grand, and then some wonderful and exciting new projects on our Connects platform. So the season uh, will kick off in September with a brand new vision of Lucia de Lamamore.
3: This is
1: Donizetti's masterpiece really it hasn't been heard on our stage for 10 years and it will be brought to you in a brand new vision by the acclaimed uh, theater and film artist Simon Stone. Uh, Simon is incredibly well known for being a really gifted interpreter of classic text. He really came to prominence with a now pretty famous production of Lorca's Yerma. He works with equal skill in film. Some of you may have seen his film called the dig on netflix if not i would i would highly recommend it and this production is a co-production with the metropolitan opera another highlight of this project for us is that it will be the house debut of our new resident conductor lena gonzalez granados Uh, let's hear from lena directly about the project
4: Hello everyone, my name is Lina Gonzalez-Granados and I am the new resident conductor starting on 2223 season of the LA Opera. Lucia in particular is an opera that concentrates and explores every single range of emotions of human nature from the darkest and craziest uh, moments, you know, uh, being more obvious the mad scene, we explore real love, the purest forms of happiness and joy, and uh, within the tragic, uh, this search of of your soulmate and your, and in, in real life, the exploration of love in itself, which never comes as one thing, but it's a multidimensional and very complex. Uh, emotional journey for everyone. I can't wait to see you, uh, to welcome you, to give you a warm embrace, and I'll see you with our musicians in the orchestra pits.
1: We have a wonderful cast assembled for this production of Lucía la Again, one of the things I'm most proud of with the company is that when we invest in an artist, we often invest in an artist for a long period of time, we fall in love with the imaginations of certain artists. And then I think both our audiences and certainly the company is really thrilled to have a relationship that extends many years. So we're particularly excited that two incredibly distinguished alum of our Young Artists program, Amanda Woodbury and Leave Redpath, will share the title role of Lucia Lumamore, one of the most challenging roles in the repertory. Those uh, individuals will be joined by... Two returning favorites uh, to the LA Opera community, Arturo chacon Cruz, a tenor with that incredible bloom um, at the top of his voice and a long, long history with the company will be returning to us. And Eric Owens making a long wished for uh, return to the company. He was so important to the company's history in the, in the mid-2000s. We're thrilled to have Eric back to us. Joining them in the, in the role of Enrico uh, will be a house debut by Alexander Birch Elliott. I'd actually love to hear from both of you Some reflections on this repertory, on bel canto repertory, really one of the most technically challenging and technically precise corners of the rep. Russell, I know that you've sung a fair amount of bel canto. Can you talk about what it's like to navigate those kind of difficult hairpin turns?
2: Being a singer, we aspire to be able to do all the things with our voices, be it it sing high, low, be able to move the voice, be able to shade and color. Belcanto requires that, and it's all text-driven or should be text-driven. Every decision you make is, as you said, like on a turn, almost instantly. And of course it's all planned out and rehearsed, but it needs to feel to the audience like you're making it up as you're going along. That is the challenge, but it does require artists of a lot of skill and technique and also gorgeous voices. That's why it's called Bel Canto. You want singers who are beautiful singers, beautiful voices, but also artists of a magnitude that can make sometimes a very simplistic vocal line feel like it's the most special thing they've ever touched. I think Lucia is probably the most performed Bel Canto opera. People know it. People know that famous mad scene. They know that tenor aria and the duet with the soprano. So it's a lot of pressure on singers.
5: I completely agree, Russell, when you say bel canto, it's about beautiful singing that is the basis. In fact, our first collaboration together was Norma, which is, of course, one of the great bel canto operas. They're absolutely fundamental, and Lucia is at the top of that pile. And we are very proud that, I think we have a good, agree with me, Christopher, we have a very good track record of having picked out some pretty amazing, talented people when they were just starting and who have gone on to win competitions who have gone on to have great careers. And uh, in the case of Amanda and Lee, we've got two prime examples of that. And I think we're very proud of them, as we are proud of many others.
1: It is worth noting, of course, that the company has simultaneous projected uh, supertitles above the stage. And so you are always anchored in the meaning of the text simultaneous with the performance. And we want to make sure that we, we mentioned that along the way. Uh, So moving on to the second main stage opera of the season. I put this in the context of 12 years ago, the company made a decision to make sure that there was a major piece of contemporary or modern repertory at the centerpiece of every season. Again, with this idea that in order to celebrate the past of the art form, we also needed to forge its future. Some of the most memorable projects we have done in the last 12 years, I think about Il Postino, Streetcar Named Desire, Akhenaten, uh, Sacha Graha, The Ghosts of Versailles, have come from this commitment to contemporary repertory. And so I'm really thrilled that we can bring you the West Coast premiere of Rhiannon Giddens and Michael Abel's compositional collaboration, Omar. This piece, uh, which was inspired by the autobiography of Omar Ibn Said, who was a West African uh, cleric who was enslaved and brought to Charleston, South Carolina, um, is, as I said, a collaborative venture between two composers. This is extraordinarily rare in our world. Rhiannon Giddens is a multi-hyphenate. She is a MacArthur Genius Award winner. She is a trained opera singer. She is a composer of Americana, of bluegrass. Um, In recent weeks, she has actually performed the title role in Porgy and Bess in Greensboro, North Carolina, an extraordinarily gifted musician who has both written the libretto and, again, co-written the score um, for this extraordinary piece. I mention this history specifically because what Rhiannon has crafted here is a little bit in keeping with the Belcanto tradition Um, an extraordinary showcase for The Voice. She's written it so beautifully for The Voice, and I can't wait to share this piece with you, which is so full of, despite the subject matter, so full of um, life and joy and and really compositional invention. Um, Her collaborator, as I mentioned, is the orchestrator uh, Michael Abels, most commonly known as an extremely successful Hollywood film composer, but whose relationship with this company goes back more than 20 years in which we commissioned him uh, to write a work for our education and community outreach programs. And recently, Michael conducted performances of his own score for the film Get Out at the theater at the Ace Hotel as part of our Halloween project. Uh, before we delve into the details, let's hear from Rhiannon and Michael about their work.
3: Every time you tell somebody's story, it is it is a choice of many you know, a choice of many paths. You have to you have to pick a path through someone's story, especially something like this, where we don't know a lot. You know, we have what he left us and we have the historical era that he lived in, but we don't have a lot of specifics about how he grew up and who his family was and all of that sort of thing. So it's a challenge on a lot of different levels. A lot of the thematic material came from my voice first. And I think being an opera singer gave me a, a kind of a unique I don't think a lot of operas have been written by singers. <laughs> Mostly, they're written by I think instrumentalists, and I do, and I do think that it, it kind of gave me an insight into how the vocals work, you know, and how the drama works through the vocals. You follow your muse, and and, and I definitely did. And then the further collaboration with Michael was just really, really beautiful.
6: Omar the Opera is a singer's. Opera, absolutely. And you you hear Rhiannon's gift for melody all over it. And she writes very much in a way that's very spontaneous and is very much, she's very much a, a vessel of embodying the character. How we collaborate is that she will sing and play her banjo or her fiddle or whichever instrument she's comfortable with, and she'll sing just entire scenes sometimes. And then she'll give them to me and I'll put them in. An operatic context i think and sometimes that's as simple as orchestration but other times it's about harmonic enhancement because the world of opera has its own harmonic language that's different than folk music and then sometimes she'll write individual lines and i will find the place in the libretto that that goes and kind of write around what she's doing so uh, as a result i think we both feel i mean it's it, The work is very clearly in Rhiannon's voice, and I feel like it's also very clearly in mine, and we're just, the cast finds it a profoundly moving experience. And as someone who always wants to write music that's a joy for musicians and singers to perform, that's very meaningful to me.
1: You know, one of the wonderful things about Omar, it will make its world premiere at the Spoleto Festival in Charleston, South Carolina, very apt for this story this May and then the production will come to Los Angeles. Following that, this piece will be heard all over the country with performances in Boston, North Carolina, San Francisco, Chicago. So in coming to see these performances, you're gonna be at the beginning of what is an incredible journey for a new opera. It's so rare um, that a new work like this would have this kind of commitment right out of the gate. And I think it really speaks to people's confidence in Rhiannon and Michael's vision. Our production is directed by Keniza Schall, who is making her house debut, and the performances will be conducted by Kazem Abdullah. Kazem, while he is making his main stage debut with us, actually has a history with the company going back more than 15 years, as he was part of the inaugural class of our Young Artist Program. It's really wonderful to see artists that have started their career With the company and have gone on to really incredible things returning to us um, in triumph. It's an incredible journey for Kazem Abdullah. We're excited about that. Uh, Turning to our cast, uh, we have a combination of people making their house debut along with some returning favorites. The production will be anchored in the title role uh, by Jamez McCorkle, who is also creating the role in Charleston, South Carolina, and will be joined by Jacqueline Echoes, Norman Garrett, and then returning to the company um, is both uh, Daniel Okulich. And after those extraordinary performances um, as the devil in Eurydice, we're pleased to welcome back Barry Banks. Uh, turning to both of you. I'd, I'd actually love to hear your reflections on, from my mind, the necessity of companies investing in new work, in new voices, and this idea of what I think is the kind of the urgency of expanding the kind of compositional language inside an opera house. Can you talk about that, the role of, of new music in an opera house, James?
5: Well, I think our challenge is what all opera companies and orchestras should be doing, which is to provide on the one hand, the great tradition of music that goes back several centuries and which is one of the fundamental values of Western civilization and at the same time to continue to foster and add to that on an up-to-date basis, on subjects in the case of operas that are relevant, subjects that were neglected, subjects that need to be revisited, new composers who we have not heard from before. And so I think that the type of work that Omar represents is a multifaceted way of fulfilling that part of our obligation. Absolutely, I think um,
2: it's important for opera companies to commit to an expansion of the repertory. Mozart is important, Donizetti is important, but also we wanna have Giddens be important and Michael Abels and all of these other composers who represent a new voice in classical music, a new voice in opera and also speaking, as you said, of subjects that were either neglected and representing sect of our population that doesn't always get their stories told in the opera house. And so that's great that LA Opera has this commitment to new music and also to diverse voices. Indeed, thank you. So
1: from new music to a cornerstone of of the canon in our last production before the first of the year, before the turn of the calendar, uh, we welcome back Tosca. This, to my mind, is the world's most perfect opera. Um, It's always such a pleasure to have it back on our stage. And the impetus to do so, in this case, really, again, is driven by a long-term relationship um, with an extraordinary artist. Uh, We are so thrilled to welcome back to our stage uh, the Grammy Award-winning artist and alum of our Young Artists program, Angel Blue, in the title role. Uh, Before we delve further into the details, let's hear directly from Angel about her reflections on this iconic role.
7: I think Tosca is appealing because she is us. She's an opera singer and very, very seldom do we actually have the opportunity to play or portray another singer. So for me, the roles that I've sung, Violetta, Mimi, Musetta... Bess, Clara, Micaela in Carmen, Liu in Turandot, Suarangelica in Suarangelica, Laureta in Johnny Skiki. None of these women are performers. And so with that, I think that Tosca is very unique because she is an opera singer. And I have to say there's parts of Tosca that for me are really similar to me as a person. So I, I hope that I, I, I'm as relatable to her as I think, but that for me is what makes her very unique. I enjoy act two because of all of the high C's. I, <laughs> I mean, she has a high C in act three as well, but there are there are several high C's in act two that are just riveting. And I, every time I approach them, I just get really excited because it's those are the kind of high C's that come from one's gut. And, and they really are born out of how she's feeling at that moment. So that's my favorite part of, of the opera. And that's the most exciting part for me that I'm looking forward to to tackling, to challenge. It's, it's a challenge for sure to sing act two. So I look forward to that. I love LA. I'm, I'm from LA. I, I, you know, I went to UCLA. I went to the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. I think the best word is it just, it's a full circle for me. For the, the, that's the first thing, but it's a huge sense of gratitude and, and a very, very big, feeling of Thanksgiving. So thank you for having me back, LA Opera.
1: Again, we are so, so excited to have Angel back on our stage. Joining her uh, will be two returning favorites of the LA Opera community, including one new favorite, the estimable tenor Gregory Kunda. He actually made his debut with us in those performances of Turbatory just this fall. so It's really thrilling to have him back with us and in a role debut, We welcome back Ryan McKinney in the role of Scarpia. I'd love to actually talk to you, Russell, because you actually did this production. This this, uh, vision of Tosca, very distinctive, comes to us from the extremely famous stage director, John Caird. Um, It was last seen in our stage in in 2017. And Russell actually did the production, as cover, I'd love to hear his reflections on that production.
2: I love the role of Cavaradossi. It's probably the easiest thing of the night. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the beauty of it is that John Carriage production gave, especially in Act Two, sort of a, a humanity and a life to Cavaradossi and heroism to Cavaradossi that you don't often get. Uh he's usually just beaten and battered and and that's the end of it. But Having that energy on stage and the chemistry that he helped create with Sandra Ravanovsky in those in those performances, for me, was uh, amazing. I think it was probably only my second or third production of Tosca ever. And I hadn't sung Puccini in a very long time. So being able to do that kind of Arismo opera with a skilled hand was amazing. You know you're dealing with an
1: extraordinary singer when they note that Kavaradosi is... I guess you didn't say it was an easy sing. You just said it was the easiest of the sings within, within the piece. Right. Yeah, and I think the other thing uh, really worth noting about this project, because it's a big deal, is that these performances will represent the American debut of the conductor, Oksana Lienev. Some of you may be familiar with this name because Meister Lienev made history when she became the first woman ever to conduct at the Bayreuth Festival. And was recently appointed as the music director of the Bologna Festival. Uh, James, maybe you can talk about the process of actually selecting guest conductors for the orchestra. This is a group with, with whom you have an incredible affinity, an incredibly deep relationship, 17 years of history with these people. Can you talk about what the process is of selecting fellow conductors to, to lead them?
5: Well, I think they're, so first to put it in a context, it's very important for not just every opera company, but I think most cultural organizations, if not all organizations, to have a very chemical mix of elder statesmen, I guess I'm an elder statesman at this point, and young gifted talent. So I think we're going to emphasize that, how important that is in this coming season, that I am happy to see these young, very different conductors, be presented to our public, be put in front of our orchestra and chorus, and have the opportunity to collaborate here as a point of Los Angeles' great tradition. Now, I wasn't an old man when I came here, but, and I still don't feel old, but it's also very important to have that balance. And so I'm very proud to welcome these debuts, which of course, were already people, very talented, very accomplished, and uh, look forward to that mix.
1: Yeah, I'm happy that you made that reflection because of course it's very unusual for us to have three conductors making their house debut
5: with us in a single season and in a row. What I'm looking forward to, including of course, most of all that's going to include another collaboration with Russell.
1: Perfect segue (laughs) uh, to uh, the 23 part of the 22-23 season in which we are thrilled that all three main stage productions will be led by our music director, James Conlon, Another exciting thing about that spring season is that it has allowed us to reschedule two long gestating projects that we had lost, um, unfortunately, due to COVID and are thrilled to be able to reschedule. So we kick off the new year with performances of Lenuzzi de Figaro, The Marriage of Figaro. Uh, Arguably the greatest opera ever written, certainly the greatest act of opera ever written, the second act of The Marriage of Figaro. Um, If anyone wants to fight me on that, I'm happy to take them on, Uh, but I I stand by my convictions. Uh, This is a brand new uh, production uh, for the company um, and is helmed by the extremely uh, estimable uh, James Gray, uh, very well known, of course, in film. He's actually making his American opera, a uh, directing debut with this production. Uh, it's a co-production uh, with an opera company in Paris, uh, where it bowed in 2019, just before the pandemic, um, and was met with uh, universal acclaim um, for its incredibly humanist vision of this most human of operas. Uh, Let's hear directly from James about his experience in directing this opera in Paris.
8: The plot has a lot of plotting, particularly like I say in act four, but I would summarize it this way. It's a crazy day in the life of these people. And it's about basically this kind of ebullient spirit in Figaro who is going to get married. And he realizes that he has a rival in the count who is, uh, of course a social and economic class above him and uh, all of the hijinks that ensue. And I remember the first day that I got to rehearsal, it was like, chink, grey, and then the singer turns to you and you know, what do you wanna do next? And when you're working with actors in a movie, you can say, show me, and they play the scene and then you make adjustments. Here, you needed to talk the singer through every beat. But I found that weirdly liberating because then you realize that you have to understand the intention of every beat. And when you start exploring intention, I found that what was personal about Figaro, which I thought was so beautiful, was the degree to which desire destroyed people's self-interest and how the idea of the class divide separated us and made fools of us. So I was trying to think of how I felt personally about that thematic thread. And I sort of tried to do the best exploration I could with personal intention with the actors, the singers. Ultimately, the director's job is to remove any distance between the spectator and the work. And I don't mean distance like physical distance, I mean emotional distance, to try and allow the spectator to luxuriate and enjoy what makes opera great, which is that it is an emotionally committed art form.
1: One of the things I admire the most about James's films is the incredibly detailed way in which he plums the vagaries of the human heart. Films like Ad Astra and The Immigrant, they're so kind of boldly emotional. Because of that work, that incredibly detailed work that he does with his actors uh, on set, he felt like actually the the perfect person for, again, this most perfect of, of operas. Uh, We've assembled a cast of really beloved L.A. opera favorites, and I know that all of them are so looking forward to working with both James Conlon and James Gray in assembling this masterpiece. Uh, the title role, the figure role, will be sung by Craig Cochlaw, a singer that has sung so many roles um, with this company and in recent years has found incredible um, success at stages all around the world, including really thrilling performances in the title role of Macbeth, earlier this season at the Lyric Opera of Chicago. Uh, Joining him as his betrothed, uh, Susanna, will be the return of our distinguished alum. Janae Berger is coming back to us after too long an absence, and the Count and Countess will be sung by Lucas Meacham after those really, really moving uh, performances in Tannhäuser uh, this fall, and Ana Maria Martinez, uh, respectively, a singer who has been lighting up the LA Opera stage since 1999, and to my mind, just keeps getting better in every performance. They will be joined in a house debut by Rehab Chayab, singing that iconic role of Carabino. Uh, These performances, of course, will be conducted by James. I know that this is also one of your favorite pieces, so I'd love to
5: hear your, your thoughts on The Marriage of Figaro. I have to say, to be able, and I'll just give you a little bit of a preview, in the spring, To touch three of the undisputed masterworks, uh, I would say, not just of opera, but of classical music. Favorites? Yes, absolutely. And why? Because in my mind, they're all perfect operas. There is not one note too many. There is not one note too few. The meshing of the, uh, in all cases, the original drama, the original theater piece to a musical setting could not be imagined better, in my mind, in all cases. And so The Marriage of Figaro, in particular, if you, if you put me against the wall, Christopher, I'd have to say that I could probably conduct it every week of my life and be happy the same way I'm happy when I conduct foul stuff. They are two of the most life-affirming works imaginable. Funny, amusing, they work every time, and at the end of it, you feel the, uh, the urge, A, to do it again and to go back into life with just belief that despite all of the challenges we all feel as human beings, that it's all worth it and it's all beautiful. The so two of the most
1: iconic roles that you sing in your extremely wide ranging repertory R.A. Domineo, title role, and Tito, what's it like to get inside that music? You know, singers often talk about the idea of Mozart as medicine, as vocal medicine, as I think as James pointed out, as sort of therapeutic medicine to restore a sense of humanity. Can you talk about your your experience in uh, saying those roles?
2: For me, my experience in Mozart was to teach me how to be a better singer. You know, uh, for some people, that's not the case, it's, it, you know, I thought that it was so difficult and I thought that I don't know how because it's so ex, uh, exposed, as you say about the Belcanto repertory, Mozart in, in that way is 10 times more exposed yes. than the bel, if there's a flaw in the technique, if there's a flaw in the voice, Mozart will show it. So that's the scary part. But the beautiful part is when you get it and it clicks and you learn how to sing it with your voice and your technical prowess, it's like medicine for the voice. And it really did, the Mozart repertory from Ottavio to Idomeneo taught me to be a better singer. And I try my best to keep those two that you mentioned in my repertory because after singing something as demanding as Otello, you need sort of to go back to the fundamentals of just clean, beautiful singing that's not uh, hyper emotional. Yes, they're very emotional pieces, but the emotion doesn't creep into the voice like it does with Verissimo and Verdi in the Mozart repertory. So for me, it's always been about uh, maintaining clean singing and Mozart sort of demands that of you more than any other composer.
1: I would actually be remiss in not mentioning in a season full of wonderful a creative visions for works. I do have to mention two of our designers for this project because they are so distinguished. And that's the scenic designer, Santo Licosto, one of the most accomplished production designers of our age, I think one of the finest stage designers, uh, working equally uh, skillfully in both film and theater. His work was last seen in our stage uh, in that Johnny Schicchi, such an incredible attention to detail. And the costumes uh, for this Figaro are brought to us um, by the couturier Christian Lacroix. So there's just a wonderful sense of both period accuracy and fantasy in equal measure. We're really, really, really excited about this project and can't wait to see you at those performances. Our fifth production on the main stage uh, next year uh, will be, after a delay of 27 years since we last did this masterpiece, uh, Debussy's Pellias and Melisande. <laughs>
0: Je vais lui obéir. Ma mère l'écoutait pleurer de joie. Tu ne t'en es pas aperçu. Toute la maison semble déjà revivre. On entend respirer, on entend marcher. Écoute, je parler derrière son mot. Vite, réponds vite, te verrai-je pour oh, vas-tu?
1: Again, I think just a staggering uh, masterpiece, uh, a work that weaves a spell over anyone um, that encounters it. It's just, uh, to my mind, completely enchanted, enchanting, uh, mesmeric, and I'm so thrilled that it will finally be heard uh, back on the Alley Opera stage. Our production comes to us um, from Sir David McVicar, uh, one of the most accomplished stage directors working in opera today. I think in many ways uh, seen as the heir apparent to Purnell. And amazingly, 37 years of the Ellie opera, this is actually Sir David's uh, debut with us. Um, And he's come up with an astonishing vision for this incredible piece. We've established a really, really, really wonderful cast for the work. The two lovers, both making house debuts with the company, will be Will Liverman in the role of Pelias and Sidney Masacola in the role of Melisande. Many of you, of course, became aware of uh, the astonishing gifts of Will Liverman in the performances of Fire Shut Up On My Bones um, at the Metropolitan Opera uh, this fall. And joining them is, is kind of a uh, incredible uh, rogues gallery of extraordinary uh, singers coming back to the company, including Kyle Kettison, Ferruccio Furlanetto, one of the greatest singers in opera working today. And I would like to say our our very own Susan Graham uh, joining us for that project as well. James, again, I pledge not to throw you against the wall, but I know that you and I share an affection for this piece. We've been talking about programming it for as long as we've known each other, really. So talk about what it means, I think, for the company, for the orchestra, to be able to essay this incredibly challenging work.
5: I am thrilled whenever we agree to the degree about any opera, as we do about Peleas. I was not to conduct it until my 40s, but in the 1990s, I had the honor to have done five different runs of it. What's the first thing you think of when you finish a production of Peleas and Melisande is when can I do it again? It's an addictive work. And it is, in my mind, a must for every opera company 27 years is far too long, and I am thrilled that we're able to bring it back.
1: So, our main stage season comes to a conclusion with I hate to keep saying it again, but really one of the greatest masterworks in the canon of uh, Verdi's uh, late period, Otello, heard on our stage for the first time since 2006. Now, this is, like most repertory, but in some ways unique. This is a work that you simply can't do uh, unless you have established the right cast for it. And we are extraordinarily blessed to have Russell Thomas be able to sing that title role. He'll be joined by Rachel Willis Sorensen, um, an extraordinary singer. He'll be making her house debut in the role of the doomed Desdemona. And coming back to us in that most existentially evil of roles. Iago is Igor Uh Really, I'm going to turn it uh, to the two of you. This is the first opportunity uh, that we've had in the company's history uh, for the two of you to come together with Verdi. And so I'd love to just hear from both of you about this work, about what it means to you. And again, I'm just really, really grateful that we're able to, to end that season
2: with this um, extraordinary work. I find that Othello is probably the most human character on the whole stage. And oftentimes he's portrayed uh, as a monster or as this vile person that just kills his wife. But um, I think he has been played by his closest friend and in a way has, you know, PTSD has gotten into his head and has played a huge part in his deteriorating on stage in front of everybody. It's possibly the most difficult role I've ever sung, Um, but uh, I try to sing it in a way that's sustainable and in a way that shows more the humanity of the character than sort of the visceral angst that he sort of deteriorates to by the end of the night. Yeah, it's it's a treat.
5: We get a chance to celebrate the fact that Verdi's long life was accompanied by an extraordinary development personally on his part, but more important, his transformation of the entire Italian opera into works of sublimity at the end of that life. I've had a chance to appreciate with my hands on it, and I can tell you there's nothing for the thrill of a conductor and a great production and a great hotel. This is is always an important event for us, and to be able to close this season of masterpieces with Otello is a great thing, and especially with Russell. Thank you.
1: Indeed, I think we're really thrilled at the scale of the season. In this journey from from Donizetti to Mozart to Verdi to Debussy to Giddens and Abels, just the the scale of that journey that we're going to go on with these incredible artists and with you, we're really, really, really excited about that that season. So in the interest of deepening that artistic expression, broadening it, and also making it more intimate, we've also established a really incredible scale of concerts and recitals for you for the 22-23 season. That series will kick off uh, with the return in more than 10 years of the famous Peruvian tenor Juan Diego Flores returning to the company right here to the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion for a recital with piano. Following those performances, we are excited to welcome back the English concert uh, under the artistic direction and baton of Harry Bickett with the house premiere of Handel's oratorio, Solomon. A staggeringly scaled work to be performed in concert. As many of you may be aware, the company has made a multi-year commitment to making sure that we have Baroque opera on our stage in every season and have forged this relationship uh, with the English Concert to give these performances. Following that, we welcome to the company for the first time ever, Isabel Leonard, a name extremely well-known in the opera world, a very accomplished mezzo-soprano. She'll actually be doing a very intimate recital uh, for the company at Zipper Hall, a 500-seat theatre, of course at the Colburn School and we'll be joined uh, by the Spanish classical guitarist, Pablo Sanz Vegeas, an absolutely astonishing uh, musician. The two of them will be bringing us a very intimate evening of a Cuban and Spanish song uh, there at the Zipper. And into the new year, we welcome back artist in residence, uh, Russell Thomas, who will also be doing recital of his favorite works, also in Zipper Hall. So a really rare experience to be able to experience Russell's artistry in a very intimate setting. Uh, Russell, I'd love to hear from you about both that program and about how different it is for you to perform in recital versus inside the large armature of a full opera production.
2: I try to sing recitals as much as possible because, again, for me, artistically, it's like medicine. You know, it just makes me feel a bit more in control of what's happening. And I'm preparing a program, uh, not just of piano vocal works, but of chamber music or small ensemble, chamber ensemble works, Um, hopefully of Black composers, particularly H. Leslie Adams. And we're commissioning a new uh, arrangement of a piece by Dr. Adolphus Hellstork. And there'll be more gems on that program, but I'm really excited about it. And our wide-ranging season of concerts and recitals will
1: actually wrap up in June uh, with the newest member of the artistic family, but certainly someone who's been associated with the company for a long time. Our newly appointed artistic advisor, uh, Renee Fleming, will have an intimate evening with Renee here on stage at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in June. It's the intimacy with the artist um, that I always find so moving we, we think about the opera house as a kind of arena of catharsis, again, that kind of exchange of energy. That can be as intense between a, a single, incredibly gifted singer and an audience as it can be when we're in the, in the full fetal of a, of a full opera production, so.
5: Well, agreed, um, and I, if I may just say, please. there's nothing less cathartic about hearing a Schubert so- song cycle, than it's not less cathartic than Othello or Peleas Melison or Martin Figaro or Tosca or anything. It's, I mean, it is a full experience in and of itself.
1: You know, but I've been thinking about this a lot that one of the horrible effects of the pandemic was to pull us apart from one another. Being alone and in your home can have a, a, a narcotic effect on you. It's hard to have the courage to re-engage with the world. And yet e- even having this conversation with you Today has filled me with incredible amount of joy and energy. And I mean, I think that when you channel that energy through art, it can be so powerful. And so I can't think of a better way, frankly, of to emerge from this pandemic to repair some of the damage um, that has been done than coming back through in the arena of art, in the arena of emotional expression. It's It's been, you know, I said it when we, when we opened up this conversation, Uh, For me, it has been incredibly therapeutic, incredibly restorative to be back in the presence of art and artists and expression.
5: If I can anecdotally, and I'm sure Russell will want to say, from the performances that I conducted here in the fall, we know that, you know, all of our audience hasn't come back yet. And we understand that. We're encouraging them to feel safe and to do it. But I can tell you that those who did come back made up for two audiences and three audiences, and my sense of the enthusiasm, the attention, the reception, the applause, gave me the feeling that these are colleagues and friends who needed to come back and who missed that communal feeling that we've all missed, and that they couldn't wait to get back, and that they gave us back in full what we need.
2: As I said, as as an artist, I need that community. I need that validation of the applause at the end of the night. One of the things, even in this large opera house with 3,000 plus seats, one of these things that I find the most amazing when there's an audience, no matter what size, is there's still an intimacy of me and that audience member and me and all of those audience members, no matter how many people are in the room. And um, I've cherished that as an artist. and I And I can't wait to do that with Otello and with my recital next season.
1: Uh, So turning to Off Grand, which of course, as you know, is the experimental uh, wing of the company, and which we expand uh, the geographical reach of the company and also the notion of what an opera company is, who it's for, and really fling open the doors to an expansive list of of artistic collaborators. We have two major projects under that banner um, next season. It'll kick off with our project at the theatre at the Ace Hotel. This has become a tradition at Halloween for Angelino's. We are thrilled to debut a new score for Chamber Ensemble and Voices by Michael Shapiro. He's written a new score for the extremely famous, extremely compelling 1931 film of Frankenstein, the incredibly well known uh, work starring uh, Boris Karloff. Uh, we'll have those performances at the ACE. That's always a marvelous event uh, full of, of joy and screams and fear. And one of the one, most wonderful parts of that uh, project for the company, it really flings open the door to a really wide audience. In some cases, it's the first experience that people have of live voices. And it's, it's been a really wonderful experience. And in the spring, in our ninth year of collaborations with Beth Morrison Projects, uh, we'll offer the world premiere of a double bill from an incredibly talented emerging Irish composer called Emma O'Halloran. Emma has written uh, two one-act works, a collaboration actually with her uncle, who's quite a well-known playwright in Ireland. Uh, The two pieces are called Trade and Mary Motorhead, And those performances, as usual, will be at Red Cat, that wonderfully intimate theatre nestled inside the parking lot of Walt Disney Concert Hall. This collaboration has been so fruitful um, for this institution, um, has provided so many uh, wonderful works, so much acclaim for that work. Of course, uh, most recently, a Pulitzer Prize for Ellen Reed uh, for that world premiere we did of, of her work, Prism. Lastly, on the Connects platform, our education and community engagement platform, of course, we'll have uh, hundreds of performances across all of LA County, in schools and community centers, um, right here at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Uh, But there's a couple of projects that I wanted to bring to your attention of particular note. The first of which, of course, is uh, the Cathedral Project, um, our annual project combining uh, both amateur musicians and professional musicians, amateur singers and professional singers. Um, And this incredible collaboration um, that has been, it's the the brainchild and a labor of love of James. It's one of the first projects that he brought um, to the company and has become again, one of those incredible defining traditions of the company. Uh, We're thrilled that we'll be able to revive uh, for the first time, uh, Henry Malacone and Shashir Kruip's Moses. This is the 16th project that we have done at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Angels. And in fact, that model has inspired a much larger project uh, for the LA Opera, which is called The Song of Los Angeles. In this project, we're actually commissioning work for, by and of uh, community members in each of the five uh, supervisory districts uh, for LA County. And finally, another project worth noting under the Connects banner is Bambino. Um, this is our uh, project for newborns. Uh, We aim to be the company from birth until death. And so this is our our first foray into a project uh, specifically designed for newborns. This is a project conceived by Phelan McDermott, uh, one of the company's favorite collaborators, of course, who brought those uh, wonderful productions of Akhenaten and Saturgraha to the company. Such an incredible imagination. And with that, with an opera for babies, I think that we have completely covered the gambit of potential operatic expression. So on behalf of Russell and James and myself, thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. We hope that you're as excited about the season as we are. And most importantly, we hope that you'll join us in the Opera House. We can't do what we do, what we love without you. Only half of the equation is here when when it's just the artist. You make up the difference. And so we can't wait to see you in the Opera House.
0: Tickets to LA Opera's 22-23 season are available now at laopera.org. If you enjoyed listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain, subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera.